guys. Welcome to another edition of Texans Unfiltered. Uh, we are blessed to be joined by Antonio Camardi. David, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to uh, talk with me today. I'm super excited to talk to you. I see a potential cornerback one. Uh, I can move very well. Does can play man-to-man very well. I think that he is a better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes. He does things that are so amazing, and the competitor in him is just special. Um, I'm excited, man, and I I can't wait to get there. I think it does really fit my skill set. All right, all right. Welcome to another edition of Texans Unfiltered, a Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. I am Young Ari Gold. Uh, actually, I'm James. Sorry, I keep forgetting that. John, what's going on, bro? How's it going, dude? Um, it's a little little different with this angle, but we'll go for yeah, can it. You go go to the, go to the third one so they can get a wide. There we go, so they can see my happy Thanksgiving, the Shab family Thanksgiving. Okay, look at that weird old baby with the cross eyes. You guys see that? Oh, dude. Oh. Uh, how how you doing, John? I'm I'm doing good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, for everybody, sorry about the little buzz in my green screen above the thing. Um, had uh, had to pivot to a new uh, office today, so forgive me. But um, thank you, Daniel Blake Hill. Uh, man, I'm feeling good. Uh, so first, let's start with um, you know an apology for last week. I, I know we were negative, negative. Yeah, no, we need to, John, because that's not who we are. We're, that's no, not but who there's we no, are. there's no apology needed. Like I'm even gonna kind of piggyback off a little bit after last week because. One of the things about this game is it just kind of shows that we need to surround Desha- Deshaun deserves better. Like your that's your reaction should be Deshaun's reaction. That's ultimately where it came down to. Like for me it came down to the fact that like we have Deshaun Watson and had to go through uh, a week where we scored 7 points, which tells you everything about the organization and the team. Um and it's, you know, it's just, it's hard, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Like we're fans too. Um, you know, that's how we started. We started as fans. So, you know, we're still emotionally attached just like the rest of you. So last week I, I've just erupted after a long and awful season. I mean, it was just a built up aggression from everything that's happened over the last 10 weeks of this season it's like it got to a boiling point, but I want to say this. I'm not apologizing for putting Cal McNair's fucking email up there. I can care less. I don't, I don't ever expect to talk to Cal McNair, meet Cal McNair, get an email from Cal McNair. I honestly, I could care less. Um, but it's like we have Deshaun Watson. We have Deshaun freaking Watson. And, like, now it's so funny. We're watching the national media praise Deshaun in a way that we've been doing for three years. And now everybody that I've even seen two articles that ranked him as one freaking B one B behind the homes from week three on guess who's the number one ranked quarterback. Deshaun it's week five, but Deshaun Watson. Yeah. From week five on. Yeah. Yeah. Deshaun Watson. No, so Deshaun Watson. The fact that he, we have a quarterback, and we've talked about it now two weeks in a row. Uh, this will make week three. That worst case, 
top three quarterback that's worst case right now? Like, I think that's a fair argument at this point. Yeah. At this point, the defense knows what's happening. We can't run the ball. I mean, 10 attempts for 15 yards? Like, Jesus Christ. And it's him and Pat Mahomes. It, you're, I, I was joking around about us needing a new intro, but that part gets to stay. Your comment about, you know, I think that his ceiling is higher than Pat, Pat Mahomes absolutely gets to say. Like, you are absolutely dead on about that, and I'm coming around more towards it this season, even though it's a dumpster fire of a season, because look at what he's doing when there is no other threat. Yeah, no. I mean, look, I, I tweeted it out earlier. Patrick Mahomes literally inherited Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, a top 10 offensive line, a quarterback-friendly offensive scheme, a top five, a top five head coach, and an above-average run game since he came into the league. Deshaun Watson inherited DeAndre Hopkins, the 32-ranked offensive line in the league, a offensive scheme that was built in 1972, and an egotistical head coach who could care less about the success of the team as the whole goal for him was to prove that he was right. And he, he, he failed to do that. And then a below average run game. I ran out of characters on Twitter, but I wanted to put that. But um, so, you know, when you look at what Deshaun has done, 1967, thank you, Pat. Um, I noticed how you didn't retweet that, but you know my year, that's fine. Um, all right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, everybody do what Pat said. Make sure you guys hit the thumbs, likes up, the likes button, some thumbs up button, subscribe button, tell a friend. Shoot a text message right now, talking to talk to them, tell them that the heat is coming from Texans Unfiltered. Um, we really appreciate it. That's what we're here for. I know it's been a down season. It's hard for you guys to get through, but we appreciate you guys being here every Tuesday. And if you're listening on the podcast, we appreciate you being here every Wednesday. So before we get into the game. Still watching. Thank you so much. Like You are the diehards. Y'all are the ones that are gluttons for punishment. But you're the ones that that matter to everybody, to the Texans, to us. I mean, our listening – our listeners are down by over 50%. Like you can notice in our stream chat when you watch us live, like it's went from triple digits into double digits again. And this is all because this has been a dreadful season. This has been a chore to watch. And just thank you for like sticking it out because when you have a quarterback like Deshaun, this shouldn't be a long-term thing. Now, granted, I was telling James in the pre-show that I think he needs to put Cal's um, email address back up there for a, for a simple question. And it's going back to Easterby. Why hasn't Easterby had to talk to the, to the media? Why hasn't he been held accountable for anything? Um, it was it came out that he was 1B to every single one of those moves that have been made since the, since the clowny trade. Like, he was the consensus builder for each and every one of those. So why doesn't he have to talk to anybody, and why is he still around? So that's something that I think that Cal McNair needs to address. Why is he still around? Why doesn't he have to talk to the media? And if Cal doesn't want to, you know, answer that, he needs to make Jack get out there and answer it. Yeah, you know, um, I, I didn't, you know, I haven't been too concerned now with uh, with the Jack Easterby stuff. And the main reason is I feel like Cal pretty much shot the flare gun last week when he said that the new GM will determine Jack Easterby's role. So while I do believe that Jack Easterby does have uh, Cal's ear, I don't think it's to the extent that we all think it is. Um, I, I do think that uh, I, I do think that 
Cal's wise enough to see that, you know, he doesn't belong in a in a football position, uh, scouting position, personnel, you know, um, position. Um, and I'm not really too, I'm not too worried about Easterby anymore. Uh, I, I think, I think we've all kind of maybe made it into something that it might not actually be. I, I don't sure? know. I, I just, here, here's why. The one, the, the flare gun thing from Cal for me was a big enough reason for me to back off the Easterby stuff. But, I because mean, over the course of, over the course of the week, he gave two different interviews with two different responses on it. Yeah, but do you know why? Adam Schefter was a scripted questions. John McClain was supposed to be scripted questions, and John told him, no, I'm not going to ask scripted questions. I want to have – I want the real answers. I want to have a conversation, and I want to know the answers. And so it sounds like PR answered Adam, and Cal answered John. And so to me, I think that that's enough um, of a reason for one, to not be too concerned. And two, because I do ultimately think that Deshaun Watson is enough of a reason to have the best head coaches and the best general managers available, no matter what Jack Easterby does. And so when, when Cal said that Easterby's role will be determined by the next general manager, I think that was just letting all the rest of the, you know, candidates know that if you want him here, great, you can have him here. He's a great team chaplain. He's a great character guy. He's, he, he'd be great in that role. And if you don't, then ultimately it's up to you. And I think that's enough to know that we have the opportunity to grab the best available head coach and GM uh, candidates. And I don't know. I just I think it's also kind of crazy to think that, you know, I think it's been uh, kind of like a like just this whirlwind of everything that's happened this season, right? Be 0-3, 0-4, Bill O'Brien fired, we beat the Jags, then we lose, you know, and then it's – and Deshaun, you know, is trying his best, but he doesn't have an offense, and Tim Kelly and the defense is trash and all these things. And then you add to that Jack Easterby, who we know nothing about except for what we've heard and seen from local media and national media, and yet really none of those guys even actually have a relationship with Jack to truly understand. I'll say this. I applied for a job with the Houston Texans – a year and a half ago, I can even, I'll even, I'll even show the email. I got an email back from Jack Easterby, who has no reason to ever respond to an email from me, um, or just give me an answer. Uh, and look here, I'll actually, I'll share my screen. And he did, he 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 did, and he didn't have to. And so I, I just don't know if it's I don't know if it's that big of a deal. I think it's just accumulate accumulation of everything that's going on, um, and I think that's that's all it boils down to. I think that Jack is just the fall guy, and that's that. I don't think he's Littlefinger. I don't think he's I don't think he's uh, you know all these bad things. I think he just happens to be a guy who made a move to come down here because of Bill O'Brien and. Things didn't work out, and now his role is going to be determined by the next guy. That's my thought. I'm kind of over the whole Jackie Street stuff. Fair enough. And, Pat, I'm very well, well aware that this was in our Slack. I just thought it was a good conversation to have on the pod itself. Um, so with that being said, uh, we skipped all the cool stuff. Make sure you guys go to Instagram, Twitter, hit Houston FB Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Follow me at uh, – 
Houston FB pod guy. Follow John at John Aidway three. Follow Patrick Storm at Patrick Storm T uh, U. Uh, follow Jair at Jair um, Sports T U. And then follow, of course, Jordan uh, Texans underscore thoughts at uh, on Twitter as well. You guys can follow, go to the website uh, TexansUnfiltered.com. Make sure you guys go to uh, Manscaped.com. Use promo code Texans. We appreciate all the support that we've gotten from Manscaped uh, financially and also just um, you know. I, Pat's wife was super excited once he got the uh, full-on grooming kit, um, you know, and, and I could see it in Pat's face today, you know, in the pre-show. He was smiling a lot brighter. Looked like, you know, the tumbleweeds down there have been shaved off, and he's it's just in a more happy space. So um, make sure you guys go to manscaped.com, use promo code TEXANS. Uh, we tried to use it on John's head, but, well, as you can see, John's head can't be used there. Campy, a little late, a little late, little late, little late. Uh, all right. Uh, with that being said, let's hop into the Patriots game. Um, you know, well, I think good. Good. I'm, I'm just like, you take it. Well, and just in general, we came out. It was actually, I mean, it was a good game. Um, essentially it was Deshaun Watson in the receiving core versus the, versus the Patriots. And, our defense did just enough. They did better. Um, Cam Newton still threw for 365 yards. Like I almost can't even believe that that's a real number, especially with the way Cam was like throwing bounce passes, passes and such. Um, he still had a passer rating of 102, but we sacked him twice, and we were able to keep them from running the ball. Like this is a team that had absolutely crushed everybody with the running game. Like just a variety of different things that they were doing running the ball, and we were actually able to stop that. Like, that that was crazy. And then on the Texans, um, Deshaun, what did he end up with? Like, 95% of the offense? Um, he had 307, I think. 344 yards passing, 36 yards rushing. So he was our leading rusher and our most efficient rusher because <laughs> he did that on six attempts compared to Duke, who had 10 attempts for 15 yards. And CJ ProSize was three yards, three attempts. Like, so you know, our our rush, running game really needs some work. That is that is still a thing. But Deshaun had all day in, in the pocket. Um, it looked like the Patriots were just going to let him throw the ball, and and he he did. I would say that that was the best first half of football we've ever seen from a quarterback in a Texans jersey. I don't know if I've – there there were throws that Deshaun made, whether it was the the over-the-shoulder to Brandon Cooks or the the over-the-shoulder to Will Fuller, um, the Aikens throw. You know, there was just – there were so many moments just in the first half that you could see um, he was just – he was engaged. You could see it in his eyes with the run-in on the touchdown. You could just tell that Deshaun was in, in the mode. But, you know, I think a lot of us seem to forget that he also had one of these, not not to this caliber, but he had a very similar game against the Titans. You know, had the defense had the defense played the way that it played against the Patriots this week, we would have beat the Titans. Um, so, you know, I think we're all a little spoiled by Deshaun Watson. I think we all understand that, you know, I, I do believe he's the best quarterback in the league. Um, I think from a skills perspective – I don't think there's anybody better, but, um, 
Yeah, I mean, well, I think we're all spoiled. We're used to seeing it, uh, and and we're frustrated and stressed out because we've won. You know, now it'll be what three games? Is this this is three games, right? Yeah, three. Games. Um, we've won three games. You know, we've played some bad teams also, and we haven't won. Um, you know, the Titans. I I don't buy the Titans. I don't think they're a good team. I understand that they came back against the Ravens. I don't think the Ravens are a good team either. Uh, I mean, I think they're a good team. Let me let me take that back. I just don't think they're. I don't think they're the they're up there with the top teams in the NFL. I wouldn't put either team up there in like the top five, top six teams in the NFL. And, um, you know, Deshaun's been playing well. Deshaun's been well, but he has so such a bad situation around him, whether it's run game, defense, offensive scheme, play calling. I mean, Tim Kelly hasn't been awful this year, and you can't fault him for trying to establish a run. Because you really aren't – you're not going to win many games if Deshaun is sitting back and throwing like he was against the Patriots. That's just not how the NFL works. You have to have a balanced attack. You can't rush for – you can't have 13 carries and expect to win games every week. It's just not how it works. And uh, I think he's had to deal with so much that we, we, we discredit what he's capable of doing. And and now we see that the national media is talking about him and, and all this other stuff, and it's it, it's it was so fun to watch it a game like we saw on Sunday because, and now we get to see it again on Thursday against a bad Detroit team. We should win that game. Um, and I, I just, it was, it was after the dinner with Cal, it's like Deshaun understands now what the future holds, understands that we're one decision away from him being able to contend and do what he's always done in his life. And that's win. And so now he's just, he's ready to go. Oh, definitely. I mean, here's the thing. We just need a competent coaching staff. Like, that's really what it comes down to. Mm, we need better than that, but yeah. Well, <laughs> on defense, I mean, you're going to need better than competent. We well, have yeah. competent right now. Well, no, actually, I'll say we just we need competent where they've actually decided what they're going to do when they commit to doing something and do it and do it well. Commit to fundamentals. <laughs> And with our our running game is a hot mess. We don't have the personnel to run the type of scheme that they want to run. And they keep mixing it up on top of that. Um, they've got guys that are good at, at zone blocking. They've got guys that are better at pass blocking. We don't have anybody that really sets the tone as a run blocker. So it doesn't matter who we put back there that is currently on our roster, they're not going to do well. We don't have the type of running back like Carlos Hyde last year that kind of offsets those weaknesses. So, yeah, we're not going to be able to run the ball. And part of that comes down to a coaching staff and, a, I guess, a personnel department that is on the same page. Like, if you come out there with pass-catching running backs, Duke Johnson should be used exactly the same way that James White, James White is. Like, that... They gave the Patriots right there. That was the blueprint, the blueprint on how to use Duke Johnson. He is one of the most efficient runners in the league, but he's not going to be able to get he he can't create his own blocks. Get him in space, he's going to do really good things. And David Johnson, obviously, at this point in his career, even when he gets healthy, is kind of depending on on the run blocking. We still don't throw to our running backs, which who knows? Maybe we'll fix that this week because. This past week against the Patriots, we decided we were going to use our tight ends. And this is where James gets to take a great, big, huge victory lap because Jordan Aikens was everything that 
James has been telling us for three years. Mm. And he was mm. getting looked he was getting looked at oh. by Deshaun. He had perfect trust from Deshaun. And Pharaoh Brown was tight end number two. Not not Darren Fells. No. Pharaoh no, Brown. Because Pharaoh I'll, Brown can actually block. Even though it gets called holding. And it's, this isn't even to say that he's a great blocker, but he is a very willing and a very physical. But here, James, take your victory lap. Well, here's the thing. I think all of you should probably, in the chat, just put the applause button, you know, the applause emoji. Because if you've been listening at all for this, and this goes back to the off season we interviewed Bill O'Brien. I asked him about Jordan Aikens' rookie year being 26 when drafted. Jordan Aikens is literally a – he is Travis Kelsey in the making. He is Travis Kelsey literally in the making. You guys are all – once you get an offensive co- – get an offensive coordinator that can scheme people open and can play to their skill sets, just watch what Jordan Aikens is truly capable of doing. I I am in love with his game. I'm in love with what he's capable of doing. Um, I think that Deshaun is truly – uh, understands. I mean, the way he lit up today in the interview, the the tweet you tagged me in, in, in the press conference, when he was asked about Jordan Akins, he lit up as if he lit up like you would like, you're going to light up in a week or two when that baby is born. I mean, that's how Deshaun was talking about Jordan Akins. And I, I mean, look, it's going to be very interesting to see what Jordan Akins turns into. Hopefully it's here. Hopefully we find a way to keep him. We have one more year, um, but Jordan Akins is by far tight end number one. Uh, might might be the best what the best offensive weapon on the team. He's just not there yet. Like if you look at the Chiefs team, if you take Kelsey away from that team, the Chiefs are great. They're going to be great, but because of the coverage that Kelsey dictates to a defense. That's what Aikens should be and, and will be. He's the same size, same frame. He's actually a better route runner than Travis Kelsey. And it, it's it's just amazing to see. I, I, I can't – you know, when Jordan Thomas and Jordan Aikens were taken, you were very high on Thomas, and I think everybody had a reason to be high on Jordan Thomas. From a size perspective and just like an athletic freak, Jordan Thomas was and should have been the guy. But Jordan Aikens has just – I've been on that – Boat, and I'm going to continue to be on that boat. He's he's that guy. So I actually went went back and uh, re-listened to that podcast, uh, the draft for when we yeah. drafted Aikens. Um, partly because I was going to say, don't sell yourself short. From the moment that we drafted him, like you you were all about him. You're like, this is my favorite pick in the past two years, excluding Deshaun Watson. Like you were so excited. Like this was your guy. You were more excited than you were than for Justin Reed. Like, that was your guy. I don't know when I dug this hole with Jordan Thomas, because on that draft cast, at least, I I was, like, timid with him. I'm like, he's got size and strength, but, you know, he was a six-rounder. Um, but, okay, whatever. That doesn't matter. Um, Either way. Jordan Akins. Jordan Akins. You were all about him. Super excited from the day that we drafted him. Like, that was your guy. So... Yeah, um, I wanted to make sure that I was well-researched for that so you can take your victory lap. As literally the moment that we drafted him, you have been excited about him. And you're beginning to see it. And part of the problem with him has been 
Deshaun just wasn't looking his way for whatever reason. And based on, you know, the past couple of games and that press conference, the way that he's lighting up, I think he's going to start to look to him a little bit more. So now's kind of your chance. If he's out there in fantasy and you want to kind of sneak him and put him on your bench, it's probably a pretty safe thing to do because he easily ends up at a bucko five with a touchdown if that trip doesn't happen. Like he was going to walk into the end zone. I, I still don't know how pass interference was not called because apparently that's what you do now. You fall down and trip the player, and that's how you prevent touchdowns. But, yeah, um, Aikens, I think Arrow's just pointing up. And, I mean, Bells, he, he wasn't on the field. So, there you yeah, go. Yeah, and for the Kahali crowd, um, you guys should be concerned about Farrell Brown uh, because Farrell Brown looks like a player, too. And you add him and Aiken, and that's your one-two probably moving forward. So if Kahali can't get on the field this year and start to put it together, it's going to be very hard for a new GM and head coach to come in and kind of ignore. you got to remember, when they come in, they didn't draft Kahale. Okay? So they, they're inheriting Kahale. So this is year two. though It'll be year three for Kahale next year. And they've seen nothing from him on the field in any form or fashion, but they've seen what Pharaoh Brown can do in limited time. And they've seen what Aikens is doing and they're going to both have the upper hand and, you know, Kahale better put it together this, this year, because if not, there's a good good chance he's, he's going to be playing on another team. Right. And the, I mean, the argument for Warring is when he came out, he was the most polished run blocking tight end in that draft with the upside of being a catch blocker, like that national, natural athleticism from playing water polo. Like, he hadn't played football long enough to be able to catch the ball. However, when you look at Pharaoh Brown, and Pharaoh Brown is a great, great, well, I mean, not a great, great, but a great story because he had some issues in his past, but his injury and what he's overcome, like, dude went from, he was at one point considered maybe a top three um, tight end coming out of Oregon uh, into the NFL draft had a knee injury at Oregon where he almost lost his leg, lost a lot of his athleticism, has come back and has learned how to be a better blocker and a better special teams player in order to stay in the league. And the way that he trucked a couple of people, that physicality, like, dude, that that was something that we've been missing from everybody that blocks on our team, from the wide receivers to the running back to especially the offensive line, just that, that dog in a fight physicality when they block. I mean, Tunsil, God bless Tunsil. He is, he's an amazing, he's an amazing left tackle. He really is. But just that, you know, that angry blocking style, Farrell Brown, that's who they need to be looking at for. And not that he's a, he's not on their level with blocking. He's not even a, a, on the level of a lot of good blocking tight ends, but he's just physical and he wants, he has that nasty streak and we need more of that. Yeah, I would agree. I, I really like what he's, what he's putting together, and he looks he looks good. I mean, that stiff arm was great. Let's talk about the offensive line a little bit because, you know, I think it was – I think entering this this week, um, New England was number three in, in pressures, uh, in, in pass rushing pressures. I forgot the statistic, but uh, basically for quarterback pressures, that's it. I'm sorry. Uh, the Patriots were number three entering this week, and we had no Laramie Tunsil, and Max Sharping got to play. Uh, Roderick Johnson held down the left side. And, you know, Matt Weston pointed out, and this is one thing that I noticed, and Matt pointed out perfectly today on Twitter in a, in a film clip, but 
on the screens, Rod Johnson's ability to be able to get out to the second level uh, and, and help with those screens to be successful. It's one thing that Lermy doesn't do, um, at least at the level that, that Rod did. Not saying that Roderick Johnson's a better tackle than Laramie. He's not. And for those that are like, oh, man, I can't believe we traded, you know, two ones for Laramie because, of you know, Rod, look at what we're doing with Roderick Johnson. Uh, this team has not shown the ability to be able to coach and develop tackles, offensive line in general. Uh, they needed Laramie because that was the only way that they would be able to just up, just be better at blocking for Deshaun, who I think led the league in hit sacks and pressures in like his first three years in the league. So, um, but hats off to Roger Johnson and hats off to the offensive line. The offensive line really played a great game. Nick Martin played a hell of a game, uh, and and he continues to show that he's capable of it and that he should be doing it on a consistent basis and just doesn't. So, um, but yes, you're right, Tony. Uh, New England only rushed – they didn't rush three all game, but they rushed three a lot, so that definitely helped. They dropped eight into coverage quite a bit, which definitely played a part. Um, but even if – even with that being said, you should know. Uh, I mean, you're here every week. You should know that there was a high likelihood that they would have gotten to Deshaun Watson in general. <laughs> I mean, we, we've seen it week in, week out. We know that this offensive line has the ability to be good, but – has not been consistently, and it was just nice to see. Um, so while they shouldn't get all the flowers, um, they they should definitely get some of the flowers given, you know, what they did do. Um, also, real quick, um, make sure you guys go to Quincy Avery, uh, go to QBTakeover.com, get your guys' uh, QB Takeover gear. I ordered mine. It should be here this week. Uh, it's a really dope jacket um, if you guys are into just, like, uh, cool streetwear and stuff like that. It's 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 a really dope jacket. Make sure you guys go to QB Takeover uh, and and Quincy Avery and uh, order one of those jackets. Um, but yeah, I mean, offensive line, John. I, I thought they did. I thought they did what we expected them to do. Um, minus Laramie Tunsil, you know, best or second best tackle in the league. They handled business. Mike deviled eggs. Toro, I love it. Yeah, they've got to figure out something with Roderick Johnson, like. Dude has flashed multiple multiple times. And, again, you can't fault anybody because we haven't developed an offensive lineman who knew he'd be able to do anything at all. And he went out there and he, he did his job. And he showed an ability to get to the second level and, that none of our other offensive linemen have shown. However, what the Patriots did is they did go out there for the majority of the time and they were dropping back into the coverage. They knew we could not run the ball. So they were going to try and take away the pass. And Deshaun, this is one of those games where this was not an easy game for Deshaun to go out there and and perform the way he did. So this actually comes back to Deshaun. And Deshaun just still, he went out there and absolutely destroyed the secondary on the Patriots. And that's all Deshaun. And with the offensive line, they were able to give him time to pass. I believe it was last year where he was the number one quarterback in the league when he had a clean pocket. He just never had a clean pocket. Um, he had like the highest QBR or QB rating in the entire NFL last year when he had a clean pocket. He just also had the lowest percentage of clean pockets. So you give him a clean pocket, look what happens. It does not matter what defense and what defensive coordinator, which is Bill Belichick himself, Deshaun can Deshaun can beat him. He just has to get protected. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, to answer Toro's question, I don't think you should play right guard because you need that swing tackle in case Titus or um, 
Tunsil goes down. You need a guy that can step in. Uh, and uh, I mean, how many of us held our breath when Charlie Heck went in for Titus for one snap? I mean, he, he looked great. He, he, he looked fine. I mean, it's one snap, not the, you know, the greatest pass rusher to go against, but he did his job, which is what you're, you know, all you're looking for. But be honest in the chat, put, put a Y in the chat. If you guys literally just held your breath when Charlie Heck took over for Titus and you were, you were concerned because I know for a fact I was. I, I was like, oh god, they're, they're, and it's Bill Belichick too. So I was like, they're gonna send, they're gonna send a blitz on the right side. They're gonna and, send like four guys right, right at them. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I was super concerned. Uh, I went super. from thinking very comfortably that it's like, oh, oh man, I think we can actually win this game. To heck goes in, and I'm like, oh man, never mind. Yeah. And then it was just one play, and I was like, we still have a chance. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's also our first offensive rookie snap this year. So. Yeah, yeah, that that was it. So, and congrats, it really... Charlie Heck, you get the uh, you get the uh, the award, um, the achievement. Yeah. Hey, uh, real quick for the for the person who can tell me what infamous infamous moment happened during this background. So, a Texans game where on Thanksgiving where Matt Schaub and his family did this promo for Thanksgiving, saying Happy Thanksgiving to everybody on, on CBS. What moment happened in that game that goes down in Texans history as one of the craziest plays ever? And if you get it right, I will send you the Manscaped Weed Whacker and the infamous Crop Mops Ball Wipes. <laughs> okay, Patrick has sworn up and down about these Ball Wipes. You guys want ball wipes? You want that minty, tingly feeling down there right before you're about to hit up that Tinder date? You want to make sure you're fresh and clean? You don't want to smell like, uh, you know, Parmesan cheese down there? The Fromunda cheese? Crop mop. Go to manscaped.com. Use promo code Texans. Uh, anybody, whoever can put, just first person to put it on there. Yep, that's right, Giovanni. Good job. I'll send them your way. That Justin Forsett touchdown where he's running down. He gets tackled, lands on a guy, looks like his knee is down, and it actually was down. And uh, Justin Forsett uh, ended up going for an 81-yard run. It was an incredible play. It was the last time we played on Thanksgiving, and it's crazy that we're playing the Lions again this week, um, especially in a week where Justin Forsett just posted like a uh, – did anybody see the – uh, he's returning to the NFL, and he he was training in his backyard, and he tripped over one of the one of the cones, and he said, "Never mind, I'm not coming back." <laughs> uh, so, Giovanni, you got the ball wipes and the weed whacker coming your way. Um, all right. So, offense, great. Let's talk about the defense because that's I think the really the outside of Deshaun doing uh, what he did. All right, so Justin Reed decided to play like you know Justin Reed should play. Yep. So that that was kind of that was kind of no. I think a lot of people are giving. I don't know. Justin Reed's usually your guy, so I figured you were going to bring bring the story on it. But I, no, he was out there. He was playing control. Um, he was playing read and react. Um, it seems that having AJ Moore back is playing kind of like the uh, the deep safety kind of helped free Justin's mind, I guess, because it's not that his it's not that Justin was asked to do different things this week. He just did a better job of the things that he was asked to do. 
And we had kind of talked about it a couple of weeks back with Justin and Zach Cunningham both trying to do too much. And I think they are very well aware of the liabilities that other players on the field may cause. And at times they try and do too much. Either that or Rivers McCown really got to him, which, I mean, I don't think so. But that was just kind of a funny story anyways, um, that Justin Reed goes out there and searches his name after losses. Um, but either way, it doesn't matter whatever happened. However, however it happened, we get that Justin Reed for the rest of the year. We're going to win a couple more games. I've been talking about it for a couple of weeks here, but I, th- I think, you know, a lot of people tend to forget that, you know, they're not, they don't let their players get comfortable in certain positions. They move them around too often to where they really can't be the master of, of, you know, one specific position. And Justin bounces back and forth. I mean, he played corner in week one. He's plays box. He plays single high, you know, he's kind of all over the place and he had, a Justin Reed game. He had a Justin Reed rookie year game. That is the play that we expected from Justin Reed all year. Lonnie Johnson had a wonderful game as well. Lonnie showed exactly why he should be playing safety. It looked like it all clicked on Sunday. And I think that it just makes, you know, it's nice to see that the defense is starting to click. If you guys all remember, I said it was going to take after the bye week, was going to be when this defense started to click. New scheme, new play calling, new players, new, so new personnel, whole new roster. I mean, it, there were so many new things to this defense. And um, look, the defense altogether was – they weren't great by any means. Not by any means. They were they were great against the run, uh, which is what you would you would want. It's a lot easier to also be good against a run when you're up – but um, I think people need to also keep that. Well, yeah, we didn't even talk about Kiki, but uh, we'll get to Kiki after this uh, when Jordan comes through with uh, questions. But um, the defense overall just did it, it did its job. They were they were disciplined in their gap. JJ played inside a couple times. Anthony Weaver dialed up some blitzes. Um, we saw the exotic, uh, you know, defense that we all expected to to see at the beginning of the season. And now he understands how he can generate a pass rush without just J.J. Watt. And, you know, a lot of people are killing Whitney for the uh, for slowing down when uh, approaching Cam. I don't think people realize that that ball was about to come out. He knew it, and he was aiming high because he was going to go for the ball. And when he saw that the ball was being released, he pulled back because if not, it would have been a penalty. He would have likely gotten unnecessary roughness on the quarterback, and it would have been a flag. So I think that's why I, I think that's why Whitney pulled off. I, I, that could just be me. But overall, I think this defense played much better than what we've seen. They played inspired football, which is what we're looking for. Throughout the season, it has not looked like inspired football on the defensive side of the ball. And um, I feel like we should start to see this more and more. Now we did it against the Pats. We're going to do it against the Lions, I would hope. I mean, we sh- it should be a good game. I mean, I, I forgot who the Lions played this last week, but they were scoreless. Um, um, the Panthers. You know, Joe Brady's Panthers. And um, and so I would expect it to be the same thing. I mean, the Panthers do have a better defense. They have a better pass rush all, to, all around. They have better corners too. But um, I do think that we should see a very similar uh, performance this Sunday against the Detroit Lions. Yeah, definitely. And I, there's, 
the Texans kind of proved that they needed one more safety. Um, A.J. Moore definitely has his weaknesses. He's too small to cover tight ends. And when a, a another team has a pass-catching tight end and they can kind of scheme that, they can pick on him all day. But if he doesn't have to worry about that, he can shut down he can shut down um, running backs from being pass catchers. Um, he's very good at shadowing them. He's very good at reading, reacting, and playing kind of like a center field. And Lonnie Johnson, I think they might have found a role for him. He's not really a true safety. He's almost like that safety hybrid linebacker, um, play in front of him, go hit people really, really hard type player. Um, kind of like uh, Mark Barron. That's kind of the role that I kind of see Lonnie Johnson just kind of being able to do, especially at this stage in his career. He just doesn't have enough experience to really recognize the the routes in the in the passing game from the safety position. I still think that he would be fine as a man cover. Um, I still don't understand what made them decide to go away from that, from everything that he has shown, because he just doesn't do a good job in that deep safety role. But moved him closer to the line of scrimmage, used him as a blitzer, used him to just go hit people and tackle people. All of a sudden, he looked a whole lot better. So maybe that kind of clicks. One concern is we're already a little bit thin on the defensive line, and P.J. Hall tore his peck. He is out for the rest of the season. Um, P.J. started on fire for us, kind of settled down as he got more snaps. But I, I'm still kind of a little bit worried about that. Yeah, I mean, I think with with uh, PJ, you know, it sucks. A guy that's definitely shown some, um, you know, some some power in the interior. Um, I, I'm kind of excited though because I think we're going to be able to see a little bit more of Corey Legit um, moving forward, or legit either way. Um, and I, I just don't think PJ Hall is a game changer. I think it's going to give some opportunity for some other guys to get a chance. There's one guy on the defensive line that people just aren't talking about at all. He's kind of like the Brandon Dunn of last year. If you guys had to guess who that player was, who would you say it is this year? Very underrated guy, not talked about a lot, but doing a solid job on the defensive line. John? Carlos? Carlos Watkins. If you throw on the tape, Carlos Watkins is having a much better year than what we've seen in the past. Um, And it's nice to see because I think he was, what, a fifth-round pick, I believe? Uh, Fifth or sixth. Yeah, fifth or sixth-round pick, and he's, he's playing extremely well. Extremely well. So uh, it'll be nice. We should get more Ross Blacklock moving forward. Jonathan Grenard, the guy that you weren't too high on. Uh-oh, John. Oh, a I grown mean, man sack with the club at the end to clean up and get past the tackle and take down Cam Newton. Hey, I'm always happy when I'm wrong. I am always happy when I'm wrong. And granted, we'll see. I mean, other than the one play, I mean, right now, Grenard, really the best thing that he has done is he's looked a whole lot better than Scarlett out there. Um, so there may be a little bit of a connection between our run game, our run defense looking a little bit better with Grenard out there versus Scarlett, maybe. Um, yeah, Watkins. Watkins has played with juice. I agree with that. Um, he's one of the guys that when I watch, I'm like, he kind of jumps off the screen, and we're like, I thought we didn't like Carlos Watkins. And he jumps off the screen, but then I'm like, maybe I do like Carlos Watkins. And Grenard, I, dude, I like I've said, I want I want to be wrong on Grenard. Again, my concern with him is he was already a really good technician, and then he comes in and sits for half the year. And that could just be, you know, 
coaching incompetence. It's not like they've really done a lot to to make us feel better because him and Blacklock identical they have identical measurements and so Grenard's just not the athlete but you don't necessarily always have to be the best athlete out there so again I I just we just need to see more of him just need to see more of Grenard because from what we've seen so far he does deserve to play more yeah I, I think at this point we just need to see rookies more I mean, it, it just makes the most sense for this team. Um, there's no reason to see what these other guys have. I'm still frustrated we haven't seen John Reed, so it's not like everything is – I mean, we've seen John Reed, but we haven't seen him as much as we should. He can't be worse than Philip Gaines. He can't be worse than Bernard Four Hardy. snaps, two touchdowns for Philip Gaines. I'm just saying. Four snaps, two touchdowns, and I have never been more mad than the touchdown that he gave up this, this past week when he just goes – he watches the ball just drop in the basket. Like, yep. you're right there. Like, your coverage was actually not horrible that time. Usually you're burnt, but you decide you're just going to watch the ball instead of making any sort of move on the ball, on the player whatsoever. Like, dude, seriously. Like, four snaps, two touchdowns. How are you still on a roster? Uh, uh, there's no answer. Uh, I mean, John Reed, yeah, uh, he's – this is a little bit of hyperbole. He, he's going to be at the guy's armpits and he's not going to look up and just watch the ball drop into his basket like that. Look, I don't know what to tell you, but Philip Gaines should not be on the field. That's all there is to it. He just shouldn't be on the field. All right, let's get before uh, Jordan gets here. Let's talk a little bit about the, um, well, really, I mean, probably one of the better things to come out of Sunday. You know, it, it was a surprise in a sense of what we've seen in the past. And then, you know, like with Deshaun doing what he does, that's not a surprise. We know we can do it. Uh, Grenard is surprised just because we haven't seen him on the field. Uh, you know, uh, Jordan Aiken's not a surprise. We've seen him do things like this before. And and with Kiki, it wasn't a surprise, but it was more about the fact that we haven't seen it in so long that it was nice to see. You know, he fought to get open in the end zone, shorter field uh, with a physical corner, was able to get him off with his route running, uh, running in and running it out. And uh, he was able to, he, he was able to get open and Deshaun found him. And I think the greatest thing about this is the fact that I like Randall Cobb. I think, I think what Randall Cobb brings is, is what this team needed. But there's nothing better than seeing Kiki QT have the opportunity to be that slot wide receiver that we've seen in the past, you know, get him proper coaching and who knows what he could really be. The problem is we only have one more year with Kiki before, you know, we are going to have to make a decision. So, you know, we've kind of messed that up in the sense of development when it comes to Kiki, but to see him on the field, to see him be targeted and then to see him grab a touchdown in a game that we needed. um, It was an amazing sight. It's not something anybody expected to see. And, um, you know, hopefully he can keep going and, and, and stay on the field, especially with Cobby and Hurt. Jordan. Yeah, I mean, Deshaun was sitting there singing Kiki's praises, and Kiki earned that touchdown. He absolutely earned it. Like, he put a move on the guy. And you know what? Hopefully, I mean, he's he's got talent. We've all seen it. I mean, you've seen flashes of it. I don't know what necessarily happened off the field. Um, but whenever he's been on the field, He's shown flashes. Granted, you know, there there was a couple of games last year 
key fumbles, things like that, that I think all four of our losses last year he started or something ridiculous at one point. Like, it was absolutely ridiculous. Like, he just had this streak of bad luck. But he is a talented guy. Deshaun obviously loves him. His first, the first play out there, he didn't fight back for the ball. And then every play after that, he earned that back. So hopefully Kiki plays well. This is his chance. If he goes out there and he plays like the guy that got 11 receptions against the Colts, go, plays like the guy that we just saw this past Sunday, then I don't know what they're going to do with Cobb because they paid him way too much um, to have both him and Kiki. But that's a good problem to have, and hopefully we have. Yeah, I would agree. Jordan, what's up, dude? How you guys doing? How's everyone in the chat? What a great – it's great to be, be on here after a dub. Oh, my God. <laughs> I would agree. Life is so much better. Food tastes better. The sun is brighter. Like, Everything. there's less weight on our shoulders. Everything feels better after a dub. Of course, of course. What did you guys get into today other than other than the game? Uh, got into the game, talked about just Deshaun being – just, just, just an amazing quarterback. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, we talked about the defense, just showing a little bit more than what we've seen. You know, I, I think everybody should also pause a little bit uh, as it's one instance that we've seen from this team. But a lot of the things that they did on Sunday uh, were things that we've been preaching that they need to do, uh, but they finally put it together. So, you know, gap discipline, uh, things of that nature. Justin Reed played well. Zach Cunningham played well. Lonnie played well. Uh, Carlos Watkins seems to be – it's going to be interesting to see what – what your thoughts are, but I was telling people on on the chat that Carlos Watkins is kind of like the Brandon Dunn of last year. Not a lot of praise, not a lot of stats, but a guy that's holding it down and and do and developing in a way that we haven't seen from Carlos Watkins in the past. Uh, talked about Kiki. Uh, talked about Jordan Akins being the number one tight end, and I don't think it really needs to be discussed anymore about Kahale. I think Kahale has uh, has to worry about Pharaoh Brown now. Um, I think Farrell Brown is making a name for himself, and I think Kahali's put himself in a bad position. I don't know if he can get back on the field. And anything else, John? I think you hit everything. Yeah. Dope, dope. Any um, thoughts on any of that? Yeah, like, like you asked me, um, Carlos Watkins. I haven't been too focused on his film, to be honest, but the times I have seen him when I'm watching other guys, like he's definitely improved. This is definitely the best ball he's been playing um, his entire career. Now, that's not saying a lot because we haven't seen a lot of him out of those previous seasons, but yep. he is a at least decent run defender. He plays with low leverage. He's a strong dude. Um, he's pretty decent at kind of taking on one-on-one blocks. He's not someone he wants as a nose tackle, taking on double teams, but he's doing his job, and he's playing disciplined, and, and you like that. You like to see that those defensive tackles can be developed, and that's been Anthony Weaver's specialty this entire time with DJ Reader, Brandon Dunn, uh, Carlos Watkins. We saw a little bit with PJ Hall. And so he could be a name that is continue to be on this team with the new regime. Yeah, no, agreed. Uh, thoughts on Kiki? Uh, I, I love Kiki. I love his the potential of him, I should say that. Um, I think, like John was saying, like his highs are very high and his lows can be very low. Um you love to see the splash plays. He's he's got a different type of juice than than Randall Cobb does, um, and his route running has always been great. I think the main thing that he struggled with me for is like like John said the fumbles, and then one thing that kind of went unnoticed is like his ability to read um, hot reads um, out of nickel blitzes, and the the Pats didn't send a lot of them. I don't think they sent any nickel blitzes, but that was one w- area where he's really struggled with, and so it'll be interesting to see if that 
continues to happen or not. Because for me, if he fixes that part of his game, then he really doesn't have much more else that I can complain about. Because the fumbles are honestly just so unlucky. Um, but yeah, good to see him out there for sure. Yeah, agreed. All right, what questions do you have for us tonight? All right, you guys can always hit me up on Twitter for questions on the pod. And tonight we're going to start off with Justin Wood. And he says, with the defense playing with some fire against the Patriots, do you think J.J. Watt could see the potential of what this defense could be and start to really believe enough to stick around? James, you're grinning. I feel like you got a good take with this. I mean, I think that that's going to be the case anyways. I, I don't mm. think they're going to trade J.J. I think that I, I know that it's out there, and I'm sure he wants to be traded. I think a good GM, a good head coach is going to come in here and pitch him, you know, sell him on, on what they want to build and that he needs to be a part of that. Uh, I also think the front office, just Cal in general, is not going to want to see that happen. Um, and, you know, I think J.J. is smart enough to know that, you know, being traded isn't going to guarantee anything. Uh, things can happen very quickly. The teams can go downhill very easily. And uh, I think he'll understand that with Deshaun here, his best chance to actually get somewhere and get a ring is going to be here. It's just got, I think it's all dependent on the coach and the GM. You know, if we make the right hire, we get the right competent people to ha- handle and manage the front office. I think JJ is already sold. I don't think it's, I don't think there's much selling to do when it comes to JJ. Now, if we go Patriots South 3.0, and we bring in a familiar face and we do all these things, then I think at that point, I think JJ will likely um, will probably make it known that he needs to be traded and will be traded. But I think it's all going to come down to the, to the head coach and G, uh, GM hire. Yeah. I think you know, you hit it, the nail on the head. Um, he specifically asked about like the defensive turnaround. I don't think, like you said, I don't think that's like the major factor for him at the end of the no. day. Like the defense can be like a, a bottom 20, around that area, but if the offense is looking top five and the general direction of the team is competitive and is winning and he sees that with the head coach, GM, and potential extra roster additions to free agency in the draft, he's still going to want to play for us. Like, this is his yeah. home. This is what he knows. This is what he loves. He knows that the fan base loves him. He knows that this franchise loves him. He knows that he's the face of the franchise, and he doesn't want to throw that away. I, I can't believe that he would want to throw that away because of how much we appreciate him. And so, yeah, I think you... You answered that perfectly. Um, moving on. Um, okay, this is a good one. Um, wait, where'd it go? Okay, from Michael Friedrich. Pardon me if I pronounced that incorrectly, but he said, could be a bit early, but which free agents do you have your eye on for 2021? John, do you have any, just a few names that you're keeping your eye on? Or maybe just positions? You know, I don't know at this point. Um, it de- kind of depends on who comes in as our GM and as our coach because they can. there is flexibility with this roster. Like when we talk about them not having any cap space whatsoever, it's with the assumption that they're going to keep everybody that is currently under contract next season. Now there's like a – there's an out clause with David Johnson. There's an out clause with Brandon Cooks. Essentially their deals can be turned into one-year deals. And we're able to – significantly free up some space but when we do that we're going to open up all sorts of other holes now right now our number one need will probably end up being wide receiver granted just looking at who we have and that could easily be fixed by keeping our guys but that could end up being a whole mess depending on 
If we don't sign Will Fuller, we decide to let Braden Cooks walk, and Kenny Stills is a is a free agent, then all of a sudden we've got some decisions to make. I don't think that that's going to happen, but it could. I mean, that's in the realm of possibilities. And at that point, if we're building around our quarterback, he needs somebody to throw the ball to because we're not going to be able to fix our run game in one season. Like, our run game is, no matter whom we bring in, it'll be better, but it's not going to be fixed overnight. And I'm a firm believer that we don't spend money on running backs, as you can see at this roster. A talented running back does make all the difference in the world, but you can find them. And you can piece together and do running backs by committee. And then our defense has so many holes, like just so many holes. It's another one of those, just depending on their defensive philosophy, they could come in and completely reshape the defense. Like depending on the coach, I could come up, I could see them coming in and literally trading half the guys that we actually think are untouchable. Like, and that includes Zach Cunningham. Like I could see him depending on the coach and what they value being moved. Like, so I really at this point don't know because we don't know what type of philosophies we're, our team's going to have next year. That makes sense. That makes sense for sure. It's it's very early in this process, and I think just to throw a few names out there, especially on the defensive side of the ball, that intrigue me. Uh, maybe one I'll give one dream guy, maybe one realistic guy, and then one guy who we could take a chance on at, at a lower price, and he could be kind of like boomer bust guy. And so, and my dream guy is. Ngakwe, Yannick Ngakwe. Um, do I expect us to sign him? No. But from a what we should do, what would be a perfect move for us? Yeah, Ngakwe would be absolutely perfect. We need another stud on the defensive line. We don't know about J.J. Watt. We think he'd say, but we don't know. Uh, Whitney Mercer is not playing up to his contract. And Ngakwe has, wherever he's been, he's proven that he is a stud. Um, so he's my dream. Um, maybe a realistic option is Dalvin Tomlinson. He's the defensive tackle for the New York Giants. And what is our worst quality on defense right now? It's our run defense. Dalvin Tomlinson is a stud. He can play one tech, he can play nose, and he will stuff the hell, of the hell out of the run. The Giants, they have him and Leonard Williams as free agents. And I doubt that they bring them both back, but they did make a big trade for Leonard Williams. So they're more likely to bring him over Dalvin Tomlinson. So make a run out of him. Um, and the one last defensive name is a safety. I think we need a box safety, depending on how Lonnie Johnson, the future of him, goes out. I think we need a box safety. Move Justin Reed back to free safety. He fits better there. And a potential gem um, who we could get a lower price is Keanu Neal um, from the Falcons. When he's healthy, this dude is a top 10 safety. I don't think there's any questions about that. And But the questions are if he can stay healthy. He's had numerous major, major ish injuries. And because of that, his market could be a little bit depleted. We could get him for pretty cheap and take a good chance on him. Um, but, yeah, those are my three kind of defensive free agents to look at. Um, let's move on. Next question is from Please Hire Eric B. Enemy, and he says, do you think that we are in position for a top head coach or GM candidate, or has Jack Easterby scared them all away? James, let's hear your thoughts on that. Uh, I kind of addressed it earlier this week. I, I think I'm I'm kind of um, over the whole Easter B little finger, um, you know, scaring people away. I really think that Cal McNair kind of I said it earlier, but kind of shot out the flare gun last week by letting the general managers know when they come on that Jack's role will be determined by that general manager. And I think that was Cal's, uh, you know, way to let people know that like East don't be. Don't be scared because Easterby's here. 
I also am just starting to buy, you know, not buy into the whole kind of Easter bees doing this and that and all this stuff for power. You know, if that was the case, we would have gotten a press conference. You know, we would have got he, – he, if, if that is what he wants, he would want to be seen, he would want to be heard, and we haven't had any of that. Uh, he's been quiet behind, you know, behind the curtains, just doing whatever he needs to do. And I'm kind of over the whole Jack Easterby thing. I, I think Deshaun showed on Sunday the reason why you want to come be the general manager and head coach for this team is because there's no other option that's going to give you the quarterback – like you have here in Houston. And ultimately you can't win in this league without a quarterback. And Deshaun has shown time and time again, that no matter what's around him, he's capable of doing these things, bad offensive scheme, bad play calling, lack of weapons, bad offensive line. I mean, you name it. These are all things that Sam Darnold has gone through and he hasn't been able to overcome them once. Deshaun has always overcome them. So I think we get the top candidates. I think we get the guys that, that want to be a head coach and want to be a general manager, um, and I, I don't see there being an issue with Jack Easterby being there. Uh, also, real quick, Tony O, can you drop that link to that Jamie Roots article? I didn't see that uh, about uh, telling JJ he can hire Palsic as um, his PR uh, person. That's that's pretty funny. Awesome. All right, I'm going to answer that question kind of joined with this next question because they are similar, but Michael George says, what do you think – happens with Jack Easterby and then I'll get to the second part of this question after that but basically the whole Easterby thing like I'm with James like for the most part at least I think what will actually happen with him is we know he's going to stay in the on the franchise um but the GM will decide his role reportedly and I think eventually he's just going to back go back to his old role where quote-unquote he's not involved in football ops and he'll be in the in the franchise he'll be in the organization and here's my thing is like we don't know how much control he'll have like we didn't know how much control he'll have over Bill O'Brien I guess he didn't have any control but he had a say in decisions he was someone that they talked to in advisory role and so what worries me is he's still in the franchise in the first place so that new GM while he might not be in football ops like he's still gonna have he's still gonna be whispering in his ear in my opinion and we'll never truly truly know what bad free agent signing what bad draft pick what bad coaching hire or positional coaching hire we don't know truly 100% if it had any um, impact from Jack Easterby or not. And, and to be honest, that kind of worries me. Um, and that's my prediction of what will happen. But getting to the second part of the question, a little bit more happier question. What are, what are y'all power rankings for Thanksgiving foods? I'm really interested in this one. We're going to start with John. Um, it depends on the gravy. Can move turkey and dressing up. Mm. Like, if you got good gravy, uh, turkey and dressing move up towards the top. If you don't have gravy or if you have bad gravy, then then it's all about the suds. Um, so that kind of sets the tone. Um, and then my sides would be sweet potato casserole, uh, mac and cheese. Then those are really the only two I need <laughs> after that. After that, I'm pretty open. Um, I'll eat mashed potatoes, green bean casserole, whatever. But if, Sweet potato, sweet potato uh, casserole, and mac and cheese are my top two. So for me, you start at the top, and it's the bird. The bird has to be cooked right, has to be seasoned right, has to be smoked. It can be fried, but it needs to be smoked. That is the only way to get the right bird for Thanksgiving. After that, it's going to be followed up by some stuffing and some green bean casserole. If those two are not a part of the Thanksgiving meal, I will not show up. 
On top of that, to end it all, this is the most necessary part. You have to have not store-bought, but homemade pumpkin pie. That's it. Yes. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have a little bit of a controversial opinion here, but I'm not a turkey man whatsoever. I don't think – maybe I've just never had a good turkey, but every turkey I've had has just been not satisfying. I just don't get the What what do you eat? (laughs) I'm a sides man. I'll fill up on the sides. I'll fill up on the bread, the pie, the the mac and cheese, mashed potatoes. I don't know. I've just never had a good turkey. Well, you are in Canada. (laughs) Yeah. might be part of it. Maybe that's it. Yeah, I think – what about ham? Are you a ham guy? I do. I would prefer ham over turkey. Ham is just – I I get – I feel like turkey is so volatile. Like, yeah, you could have a really great one, but you can also really fuck it up. And with ham, it's hard to fuck up ham. So, I don't know. It's a safe pick for me. But, all right, let's move on. Get back to more football stuff Um, from Garrett. He says, what positions slash players do you think we're going to take in the draft? I know our picks are low and the players won't be massive impacts. But we have to start somewhere. Um, draft needs. For me, draft is always about best player available. I think that's how you should do it. Um, but in terms of positions, it's, I guess you want to go defense heavy. You want to go defensive line, cornerback. Um, you can get a linebacker. Um, who do we go for? Uh, James, what are your thoughts on that? I think that uh, I, I definitely think, you, well, you have to approach the draft in the best player available. It really doesn't matter. You can't you can't reach for a position. That's what puts you in, in a bad position from a roster-building standpoint. Uh, you draft the best player available no matter the position, you know, outside of quarterback, and you uh, you let them compete for it. Um, I think, you know, this, this has got to be a defensive-heavy draft. Uh, I, I would expect that it will be. Uh, all depends on how, you know, what John said happens with the wide receivers. Uh, you know, going into next year, the only wide receivers that we have on the roster, Randall Cobb, Kiki QT, Isaiah Coulter, and Brandon Cooks. Now, you could you could field a, a very good offense with with those four guys. You're going to have to sign somebody and draft somebody either way. Uh, you have two slot guys and two outside guys, so you're going to need to get somebody else. Uh, running back's going to be a must. Um, I don't know where they're going to rank running back, but running back's going to be up there. You know, we have a bunch of mid-round picks. Um, maybe they go maybe they go running back early uh, to, to get a, a top guy in the third, uh, and then everything else after is probably going to be a, uh, a defensive player. You're going to have to go corner. I know a lot of people want to go pass rush. Um, I, I, would, I would probably go corner, though, um, over pass rush just because of how bad the corners are, especially if you can't re-sign go, uh, Gary and Conley. Um, you know, we all might be high on Gary and Conley. We might see what he's capable of, but this new regime may not, may not like, you know, they say the best ability is availability and he wasn't available this year. So they didn't really get, they're not going to have the opportunity to scout him in a way that you would like for him to. Um, so I would say corner and then pass rush, um, you know, middle linebacker would be great, but I, th- I kind of think we might be set at linebacker with Tyrell Adams and, um, and, and Zach Cunningham, you know, and then if BMAC comes back and there's no trade partners, but, uh, defense is going to be big. I, I, I want to see what they're going to do at safety. I'd like to see Lonnie and Justin just continue. Uh, I know it's coming off of one good game of them together, uh, but they have to build that chemistry. They have to understand and know how to communicate and, and, and who's going to be responsible for what and line up in the right position. So I think that's going to take some time. But, yeah, I would say corner running back and uh, and defensive line are probably the, the top needs of this team. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you guys want to see some quick names on potential targets, check out my article on Texans Unfiltered. I wrote about 
couple of weeks ago. I don't know, but I gave you all about 10 names there to check out if you want to watch them. Um, one more question here. Okay, yeah, from Barry Allen. He says, we talk a lot about how our running scheme is bad, and that's why we have poor production. Can you guys explain why our scheme is bad and how running schemes actually work? Mm-hmm. Um, so this year, the Texans, and really a, a lot of the years under Bill O'Brien, they have run very heavy on gap runs and inside zone. And so basically, just a quick breakdown of the difference, like gap runs – I guess I'll start with zone runs. Zone runs, they focus on moving horizontally. And so the offensive linemen, their first step is going to be horizontal. And what it's trying to do is trying to open up creases that way, and it opens up cutback lanes. Like if you remember Arian Foster, that offense, the Kubiak offense, it was all about zone runs. It was all about creating those cutback lanes. And if you have a running back who reads zone runs really well, it is a match made in heaven, and it's perfect. And it can make up for lesser um, interior offense, it can make up for lesser offensive linemen. Lesser offensive linemen who maybe aren't the strongest guys in the world, but they have good movement skills. They're quick on their feet. That's what a good zone scheme can do for your team. But we run a gap scheme. And gap schemes aren't necessarily bad. They can be very successful. Many teams in the NFL run a successful gap scheme, but our personnel is just not good for it. Gap schemes, they rely on brute strength. Their first step, like I said, like with zone schemes, their first step is not horizontal, but with a gap, it's going to be just forward. They want to go forward. They want to get downhill. They want to just bully their way through the line of scrimmage. And so with that, you're relying on just brute strength. And yeah, you've got 300 plus pound linemen on your team, but you're lining up against a bunch of other 300 plus pound defensive linemen. And the guys in the NFL, they're all elite athletes. They're all super strong. They all lift weights all day, damn day. They're prepared for this. So you're not just going to out-muscle guys on a very consistent basis unless you have the elite of the elite offensive linemen. And so that's what I don't like about our scheme. That's why I think part of it is forcing us to fail because we're not putting in our putting our guys in positions that make them look good and relying too much on strength over scheme and, and movement. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on kind of our run game and our run scheme? Well, Kind of to piggyback off what you said, a gap scheme has been referred by many uh, defensive coordinators if it's run correctly is the most unstoppable scheme in football. It's safe. It's conservative. Um, you just consistently pick up yards. Inside zone and zone, zone blocking in general, those running schemes are better for teams that don't invest as much in their offensive line. They get guys that are a little bit smaller. And also, these are usually teams that have better passing attacks because those offensive linemen are also usually better pass blockers. So the problem the Texans have is they can't decide on what they want to do, first and foremost. They try to go um, gap and then fell at it, fall on their face. And then they try to run, run a little bit of zone, and a couple of the guys are better at gap, and a couple of the guys are better at zone. And they just never start any sort of a rhythm. So that's usually the biggest part. They just haven't decided what they're going to be, and they haven't committed to it. Um, I believe it was Rivers McCown, because it's usually Rivers that makes all the good points, but he went through the breakdown of every single offensive lineman we have and what they're good at and how they don't match at all. So with what they have decided to do with our offensive line is not only did they bring guys in that don't complement each other, they also haven't had them working towards the same goal. So... That's kind of why it's a mess. Like, if they had decided that we were going to be a 
zone-heavy scheme, and then everybody works towards zone, okay. If they decided we were going to be a man scheme, um, God bless, because we definitely don't have the players to do that. Um, we don't really have anybody that's really a true a mauler. Like, we don't have a guy on our interior offensive line that just plays with nastiness, that just wants to hit people. And that's what you have to have in a power scheme. Like, you've got to have that guy that's going to go out there and just bulldoze people, and we don't have that. Every single offensive lineman that we have, and this may have been the unifying thought when they went to pick them up, they're all above average pass blockers. Like, that's what they do. Like, we've built our entire scheme around the pass with no regards to what we're going to do in the running game. And then on top of that, we went out and got running backs that are better pass catchers than running backs, and we don't throw the ball to them. So that's why our running game's a mess. We just haven't put any effort into it. Yeah, that's a good point. James, you got anything to add? No, I mean, you guys pretty much summed it up. I mean, I think with, with the gap scheme, you, you have to have a specific running back that is going to thrive in that system. And we, we just don't we don't have that running back. So, um, you know, now we're seeing Duke is pretty much having the exact same issues that David was having. It's, it's not much different. Um, but, yeah, that's that's really about it. Yeah, basically overall there's there's a lot of problems. Um, and like John said earlier, like one player – one year might not completely fix it because it's atrocious right now, um, but hopefully it does because Deshaun deserves a better run game to help him and take pressure off of him. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for the questions. I'll answer the rest of y'all back on Twitter, but uh, yeah, thank you all. Awesome. Well, Jordan, John, uh, thank you guys again. I hope everybody has a, a blessed Thanksgiving. Enjoy time. Uh, you know, if you guys can't be with your family, uh, you know, I know COVID is, is just running rampant right now. It, it's not safe out there. Uh, you guys do your best judgment, do what you guys think is necessary. But um, I hope I hope you guys get to see your family. I hope you guys enjoy the time. Uh, not, you know, it's a crazy year, but uh, take some time to think about the things that you should be thankful for. Um, there's still a lot out there to be, you know, that are you're blessed by. And uh, sometimes you got to take a moment to kind of talk about and think about those little things. So uh, happy Thanksgiving to uh, the entire Texans Unfiltered family. Uh, all of the listeners and, and, and obviously the staff and, and, and teammates and partners and things of that nature. But uh, enjoy some uh, Texans football on Thursday. That's going to be awesome to see. We're playing a Lions team who's banged up. Kenny Galladay looks like he's out. DeAndre Swift looks like he's out. Hookada is out. So um, it should be an interesting game. But uh, with that being said, I'm James signing off for Texans Unfiltered. We'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>